If you have a Bible, I invite you to open to the book of Ruth, small book in the Old Testament, sandwiched between the books of Judges and the book of First Samuel. Those are bigger books that might help you find it. Or use the table of contents. There's no shame in doing that. We're working our way through this book because it has some important things to teach us, especially about how God is at work in the very ordinary things of life. I think there's a a tendency to believe that if God were to do something, it would be big, it would be spectacular, it would be obvious. Especially, you know, you've been reading the Bible and you know, oh, look, Moses, God divided the Red Sea. So if God shows up in my life, it's going to be something spectacular like that. That's actually not true. In fact, the vast majority of what God does is not miracle. It's what we call providence, using ordinary things to accomplish extraordinary results. And this book tells a story that is full of very ordinary things. I mean, there's a family that moves, and a father dies. Two sons get married, and then they die. So now we've got three widows who are grieving. And then one daughter-in-law chooses to move with her mother-in-law and take care of her. And she, she works. She goes to work every day. And works a full day. And that's so they can survive. And, and in doing so, she winds up meeting a man. They get married. And they have a baby. And it's an interesting story. But it's all just everyday stuff. Some of it's good. Some of it's really hard. But none of it is amazing. But in another sense, it's all amazing because God is at work through all of that ordinary stuff doing some extraordinary things. And He does them through, He does it without any miracles, without any obvious supernatural interventions. And because of that, this story is a great lesson for us whose lives are full of ordinary things you know going to school going to work cleaning the house you know all the all the ordinary stuff we do we we need to know that just because our lives are ordinary that does not mean God isn't with us and that he's not doing things in our lives and through our lives and for us in fact if you're here today and you are a believer in Jesus you have come to the place, you've heard the good news of what, what He has done through His death and resurrection to make us right with God. And you've responded to that invitation. You've put your trust in Him. You have been born again. You have now the Spirit of God living within you. Then the Bible says very clearly, God is always with you. And He's at work in and through you to accomplish his good purposes. And 
those things just can look so ordinary that you, you just don't see. You don't see what he's doing. Most of the time, we don't. Maybe in retrospect, we look back and go, oh, okay, I see what he did there. But many times you won't. So we're going to pick up the story in chapter 2. And then I want to think with you about one particular way that God works through us to accomplish his extraordinary things, and yet it seems like a very ordinary thing. So pick it up, chapter 2, verse 1. Now Naomi, this is the mother of the family whose husband died, whose two sons died. Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, that was her husband, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, this is her daughter-in-law who's taking care of her, said to Naomi, let me go into the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone who's, in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and she entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters as it turned out. Okay, pause there a second. Here's the author very intentionally pointing out that this is not an accident. Okay, it's like if somebody says to you, ooh, what a coincidence, and they make air quotes or they wink or something to make it very clear that they don't think it's a coincidence at all. Something bigger going on here. This is God at work. So as it turned out, wink, wink, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, here we go again, another coincidence, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. Okay, when you see Lord in all caps, that's the proper name of God, Yahweh. Yahweh be with you. Yahweh bless you, they answered. And now we're being alerted to the fact that Boaz here is a believer in the God of reality. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? So he's noticing Ruth, wondering who she is, what family connect she's connected to. The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please, let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Get out of the sun for a little bit. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you, these words are very significant, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. If you're familiar with the book of Genesis and a guy called Abraham, this should sound very familiar. Verse 12, 
May Yahweh repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by Yahweh, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, midday meal, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As a generous helping, as she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the evening, in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and amounted to about an ephah. And that is far more than a gleaner would typically gather. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Naomi can see somebody intervened here. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He's not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, That man is our close relative. He's one of our redeemers. Some of your translations might say kinsman redeemer, guardian redeemer, close relative. Redeemer is the word. That's the focal point, redeemer. And we'll talk about the significance of that on another day. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi uh, said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field you might be harmed. Remember, this is the time of the judges, a very lawless time. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. You can see Naomi is starting to change her tune. At the end of chapter 1, she was very sorrowful, even bitter, said, hey, call me Mara, which means bitter. She said uh, at the end of chapter one, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Now she's beginning to see that God is still doing good to her. But notice how God is doing it. How is God doing good to her? He's doing it through ordinary people. Through Ruth and through Boaz. There's nothing miraculous here. But God is doing good things through ordinary people. Now, we already know why Ruth is doing good to Naomi. She loves her. What about Boaz? Is he being nice because... He thinks Ruth is kind of cute, likes that charming Moabite accent. I don't think so. I think Boaz has discovered something powerful. I think he's discovered the joy of generosity. God-empowered 
God-enabled generosity. He is reflecting the generous heart of God himself. And though being generous might seem very ordinary, it is a way that you and I can experience God doing good and accomplishing good through our ordinary lives. Now, why do I say Boaz is being generous? Because he's doing much, much more than the law required. So, God had given the Israelites his Torah, his instruction through Moses, and he had given them specific laws about the practice of gleaning. So look at Leviticus chapter 23. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am Yahweh your God. Deuteronomy 24. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Those would be the three most desperately in need groups of people. The foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go back over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the father, uh, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. So gleaning, this was established, this was a system for meeting the needs of the poor, the needy, but doing it in such a way that allowed them to keep their dignity by working. Working is a dignified thing, a dignity-giving thing. But now Boaz goes beyond the requirements of the law. Instead of just allowing Ruth to glean, he takes action. He takes action to protect her from those who might do her harm. He invites her to lunch. He serves her lunch. He tells his harvesters to pull out stocks of grain from the bundles. And you've got to remember, to a farmer, crops are money. Crops are how you keep your family fed. So by pulling those stocks out, it's just like pulling money out of his pocket. But Boaz did it. And you just get the sense he's doing it freely. Like he wants to. And by doing this, by being generous, he's reflecting the very heart of God. So look at 2 Corinthians 9.7. It says God loves, loves a cheerful giver. Why? Because that's what God is like. I mean, if you know John 3.16, God so loved the world that He gave. And He gave the most generous gift imaginable. His dearly loved Son. We'll be celebrating that a little later in the Lord's Supper. So Boaz, he's in sync with God. With, he's on God's wavelength here. Uh, he is looking at this situation from God's perspective. And because he trusts God, because he loves God, Boaz wants to be used by God. He's not acting out of any sense of grim obligation. He's not like, 
there's one of those poor people. Well, I guess I have to be generous, you know, like God's holding a gun to his head or something. No, God's generous kindness is flowing through him. He sees himself as a channel of God's goodness, and he's enjoying it. Which is exactly what we should expect when we're generous because we trust God, because that's exactly what Jesus said would happen. Acts 20, 35. The Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed. And you have to know what that word blessed means. It means happy. I wish they'd translate it that way. That's what it means. It is a happier thing to give than to receive. Thus saith the Lord. Now, here's what I want you to see. This is what I really want you to grab onto. Boaz is just a guy. Okay? He's just an ordinary man. He's not a Moses. He's not an Elijah. He's not a miracle worker. He's not a prophet. He's a businessman. He's a farmer. And yet, he is experiencing and enjoying God doing good, life-changing things through him. Through his ordinary life. By being generous. And that's a lesson for us. If you want to experience God doing good in you and through you, if you want to see God make a difference in the lives of other people because of you, through you, you don't have to be anybody special. You don't have to be a gifted speaker. You don't have to be a powerful leader. You don't have to have some really impressive spiritual gift. You can just be an ordinary person like Boaz who makes the choice, who makes the choice to be generous because you know that God is generous to you. Boaz is a flesh and blood example of a truth that's taught all through Scripture, but look at 2 Corinthians 9.8. God is able to make all grace undeserved, unearned, his gifts make his grace abound, gush, overflow to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, keyword, having all that you need, you will abound or you will have an abundance, you will have more than you need for every good work. And the context of this verse is giving financially to meet the needs of God's people to advance His kingdom work around the world. And it's telling us that when we, give, when we give generously, we are actually channeling the grace of God, the goodness of God, because He gives to us. We have an abundance because of His grace. It's God's grace that's abounding in our lives. Okay, but again, think about it. Giving, generous giving is an ordinary thing. It's not a miracle. But the point is, God is in it. God is in it. 
Why? Because we have to rely on Him. To, to give with a, a biblical you know, uh, ethic of generosity, to give that way requires that we trust Him, requires that we believe His promises to take care of us. If we don't trust Him, we won't do it. Instead, we'll try to hang on as tightly as possible to everything we have because we think that's how we'll be happy. So if you want to enjoy God doing good through you or enjoy God doing more good through you in your very ordinary life, become a generous giver or a more generous giver or whatever might apply. That's, that's the lesson, I think. Okay, how do we do that? How do we become a generous giver or a more generous giver? I've got two, two lessons from this story. Number one, see all of your stuff as God's stuff. All of your stuff as God's stuff. So let's look at Psalm 24. It says, The earth is the Lord's, the earth is Yahweh's, and everything in it. Everything in it. The world and all. A double L. All who live in it. Okay, so let's just think about your life. Are you in the world? Is your stuff in the world? Who does it belong to? It belongs to the Lord. All of it. So instead of asking, eh, what do I want to do with my stuff? The question to ask is, what does God want me to do with his stuff? See, Boaz did not consider his field to be his field. He saw it as God's field. I mean, think, okay, think this through with me, right? So Ruth comes, she's come to the land with Naomi, and Boaz says to her, Ruth, you've come to the right place. Right here in my field, you are under God's wings. It's like, well, what does that mean? Where is that exactly? Where is under God's wings? Well, Boaz is thinking of Ruth coming to the land that God had promised to give to Abraham and his descendants, the Israelites. And in many ways, she has acted just like Abraham. She has put her trust in Yahweh, the God of Israel, and she has left her homeland and her relatives and she's come to this land. And what did God say about this land that He had promised for the Israelites to live in? Look at Leviticus 25. The land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine. And you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. Just keep this straight, people. You're tenants. I'm the landowner. So Boaz knows, this isn't my land, this is God's land. It's not my barley, that's God's barley. It's not my wheat, that's God's wheat. That's not my money, that's God's money. He knows, my stuff is God's stuff. And so he says to Ruth, right here, gleaning in my field, you're under God's wings. Boaz knew, my stuff's God's stuff. And when you use stuff the way God wants you to use His stuff, He promises to bless, not deprive. Look again at the law of gleaning. Deuteronomy 24. 
God says, when you're harvesting your field, you overlook a sheaf, don't go back for it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Why? So that Yahweh your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. See, Boaz knew he wasn't going to lose out by being generous with God's stuff. So what if, what if we went home and we looked around and we said, this house isn't my house. This is God's house. This car is not my car. It's God's car. This money isn't my money. This is God's money. What would change? What would change? That is a good question for everybody to ask. What would change if we actually believe that everything we have belongs to God and we're simply managing it for Him? Using His things His way. Because they are his things. It's all his stuff. So, that's first, see it as his stuff. Second, make a plan. Make a plan. Make a plan for managing God's stuff. Here's the the reality. You can want to be a generous giver. You can want it a lot. But if you don't get practical about it, if you don't make a plan, it's not going to happen. Boaz didn't simply notice Ruth and feel generous toward her. He took some very practical action. He went and had a little talk with his men. Don't bother her. He invited her to lunch. He gave her a lot of lunch. He told the harvesters to leave some stocks of grain. So that's because his generous feelings moved him to generous actions. That's what it's got to do for us, because generous feelings without generous actions don't add up to much. And so one practical thing you have to do, if you really want to be generous, is decide in advance what you're going to do. 2 Corinthians 9.7 Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And it's saying you got to think about it ahead of time. you got to make a decision ahead of time. And that almost certainly means, wait for it, you need a budget. <laughs> and some of you are just like, budgets, budgets. They're so boring. They're so tedious. They're so ordinary. That's exactly the point. That is exactly the point. You want to see God in the ordinary? Make a budget so you can be generous. And God will use your boring, tedious, ordinary budget to enable you to give generously and affect people's lives for eternity. It's incredible what that ordinary thing can do. But see, if you don't tell the money where to go, you all know this. If you don't tell the money where to go, it just goes. And you'll ask, where did it go? And then, see, here's the thing. You won't be able to be very generous because some of you are like, I hate budgets. I want to be spontaneous. Well, a budget enables you to be more spontaneous. 
because you've actually got the stuff to be spontaneous with. So, if you don't plan, then you're not able to be very generous, and the problem is not. The problem is not that you didn't want to be generous, it's that you didn't plan to be generous. See, Boaz didn't say, well, you know, let's just harvest the field, and we'll take everything we want first, and then we'll decide, eh, what do we want to give that Moabite lady? No, he knew God's law and gleaning, he knew God's heart, and he was wise enough to decide in advance that the stalks needed to be pulled out as the harvesters went. Generosity is not giving God our leftovers. Now here's a question. Do you think Boaz thought he was doing anything amazing here? Hey, everybody, watch this. Pull out the stocks. Miracle! No. No, it's ordinary stuff. And yet he was experiencing God's generosity in his life and God being generous through him in his ordinary stuff. And as it turns out, the results are going to be amazing. To be continued. We're going to pray right now. Father in heaven, everything belongs to you. You are the giver of every good gift. If we've worked hard, really hard for what we have, if we've been very careful and we've planned and all that, Lord, that's because you've enabled us to do that. You've given us the breath in our lungs and the strength in our arms and our minds to be able to do all of these things and provide for ourselves. Father, it all comes from you. And so we pause now to thank you and be amazed that you want to use us to do good. And we pray, Lord, you would just stir up our hearts to be generous and help us make the plan to be generous. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.